1: Toca para Messi, Messi habilita a Vini ¡Y al palo, gol. al palo gol, 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 gol,
2: gol, gol, oh, gol,
1: gol, 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 Pero gol, 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 gol! qué
0: gol!
3: ¡Y gol,
2: gol, Me gol, mira, gol, 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 gol!
0: gol, 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 gol!
2: ¡Y gol, gol, ¡Qué golazo! Pero... Gol, gol, puerta, gol, gol
0: ¡Del Garrincha del Real Madrid! ¡Marca Vinicio. ¡Marca el Madrid! ¡Madre mía, con chicharro de Vinicius!
2: What drama, what a goal. Real Madrid and Levante played out the game of the weekend and here at La Liga Lowdown we're here to tell you all about it and about the rest of the action over the Match Day 2 weekend as well. I'm Sam Leveridge, and I'm joined by Matt Clark. Hi Matt, how are you doing?
0: Hi Sam, great to be here. How are you? It's been a pulsating final game of the Match Day I and mean, boy did we need it.
2: Yeah, I mean after the rest of the weekend, you know, you want all the excitement on a Friday, Saturday night but they were not the most entertaining of games then Sunday night at 10 o'clock kickoff when you're ready to sleep and everything happens. What a roller coaster!
0: It's just such an incredible game wasn't it and uh, I mean, only 1-0 at half time you think thinking okay Madrid have got kind of quite a lot of control out of this but then second half Levante just come flying out of the traps and and make a hell of a game of it and it's just a roller coaster from there.
2: Yeah like I mean according on the Sunday night obviously after that Gareth Bale goal five minutes in we were thinking, oh, yeah, we can get started now. We can start talking about all the action this weekend. And then it just exploded from there. I mean, Levante as well. Very Levante, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, Paco Lopez, he, he just loves playing the big teams. I mean, he's, They've beaten Barcelona. They, they drew Barcelona last season as well. They got four points off Atletico Madrid. They beat Real Madrid away last season. And now they've got a point at home in the most kind of ridiculous circumstances with an outfield player in goal at the end. It's just... Whatever you wanted from a game, if you could sort of write it down and, you know, pick
2: it out of a, of a
0: bingo card or whatever, that,
2: that would have been full house tonight. So there were eight games played from Monday to Sunday night this weekend, but from seven of them, there were only nine goals. And then Levante and Real Madrid produced a fun fest with six goals. So let's get stuck straight into that. So let's hear from when I spoke to Haskarim and a little bit of the drama that went on at the Estadio Ciudad de Valencia. So I'm joined by Haz Karim, our resident Madridista, and Haz, I saw you tweet halfway through the first half that you were going to be drooling over your microphone, maybe Mm. you didn't quite expect what would happen next, but how do you feel after that? Uh,
3: I'm still somewhat drooling, I mean, there was definitely, you know, some negatives in that performance, but I feel more positives than anything, which is weird considering that we had a 3-3 draw, but there you go.
2: Yeah, and I mean, Levante are a bit of a bogey team for Real Madrid, aren't they?
3: They are, yeah. I think they are for most top sides. I'm sure their record against uh, Barca and Sevilla is quite good, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they seem to always just cause a problem for sort of top sides in that sense.
2: Yeah, as just before we started recording, you said that you didn't feel that angry about the points dropped. I mean, what? How does it kind of feel? Do you feel like it was a point gained rather than two points dropped?
3: I mean, given the position we ended up in at times, absolutely. I mean, as they went two-one up. I was sat there like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> um, and then obviously went 2-2, and then when it 3-2, I was like, okay, that'll be it this time. I think that's probably a death now. I don't see us getting third, uh, particularly because Benzema just wasn't quite at the races today.
2: Um, yeah, I was going to yeah, say, without Benzema at the races, but you did have Vinny.
3: Yeah, and there, there was a shock in the, in the whole thing. Um, you know, I know he scored on the first match day, albeit with some weird, I think it was a chested finish in the end or something like that quite fortunate um, but no that first finish was incredibly composed for him the second one I'm not sure he actually meant uh, I'm still undecided if he meant to cross the ball or if he just put some nasty Beckham style swaz on that and just managed to sink it in um, but yeah it was I think it's because of the fact it was entertaining that's what it was um, The to quote Toy Story in a weird way here um, <laughs> it's like when Buzz Lightyear says we're, uh, we're not uh, you know we're falling in style or whatever as he said I kind of feel like Madrid drew in style, if that made sense.
2: Yeah, and well, Vinicius, I mean, in two games this season, he's matched his total in 35 games last season and in 29 games the season before. How many goals do you think he could get this year?
3: Um, If he continues like that, why not, you know, 10, you know, something like those lines? I mean, he's gone in and around that kind of figure five-ish here and there. Um, so you know, I feel like he's finally going to start pushing up into those higher boundaries and become a bigger threat in that sense, uh, which is huge for Real Madrid going forward. Because as as I said, it, you know, it's it nice to see Benzema not being the only option we've got for a change. You know, Bale's into his very finishes. composed
2: finishes as well. Yeah, From exactly.
3: Bale. He's finally evolving. I think you know, we've seen it year on year. He evolves and he evolves. Um, you know, he gets a lot of criticism but I think what a lot of people miss about Vinicius is okay you know he, he, he might try something eight out of ten times and he might fail on eight out of ten times but on the two times that he gets it right he really gets it right in spectacular fashion um so I think we're gonna see a level of consistency that we've not seen from him so far um and if I was even hazard I'd be sweating a little bit
2: yeah well he's kind of the only one in that front three not to produce yet, isn't he? Mm. I mean, Gareth Bale, you can be his biggest fan and his biggest critic at times. Is yep. Bale back? um I think so.
3: I mean, I've, I've seen it a lot on the timeline um, this week where you see pictures of Bale in training. He's just smiling all the time, which is interesting and nice to see. You know, it's like he's happy to be around. Him. I mean, we all know it's documented, isn't it? He didn't get on with Zidane. Um, it's, it's no secret but you know with Carlo it was kind of an interesting one because I wasn't sure what their relationship was during his first in and you know on this on the second one they seem to be getting on Bale looks happy he looks interested um which he hasn't done for you know some time so it's nice to see Bale you know smiling enjoying himself and contributing <laughs> that's the important thing and contributing.
2: Yeah, and with Isco as well. I mean, it was almost like a flashback to, to kind yeah. of 2014 times, thinking with Carlo Ancelotti in the dugout, Isco and Bale leading yeah. the way. I mean,
3: it was a right throwback. Um, I had to look at the calendar just to double-check that we hadn't gone back you know, to 2014. Um, yeah, I mean, Isco was fantastic in that first half. Um, I did tweet on, on the account that he had the most dribbles of anyone on the pitch. He had the most passes completed, 100%, uh, according to who's called, at least. I may or may not fluctuate. I'm not too sure. Um, you know, he was fantastic. Completed tackles as well. You know, he was, he was dropping in between the centre backs, just causing problems. You know, getting into those spaces where you know we saw him shine. You know, in those areas when uh, he was undroppable, essentially. For, you know, Zidane and you know to a degree, French Ancelotti as well. So it's nice to see him showcasing you know that ability we've not seen from him for at least two to three seasons now.
2: Yeah, so two games into the Ancelotti era, second time around. How are you feeling for what's left this season?
3: Um, and I, I did tweet this as well. I think it's going to be a case of uh, they will just try and outscore regularly. Um, I said it on the you know the opening preview podcast as well. So the thing with Ancelotti in the first uh, era he had was, OK, the opponent scored two goals score five. Okay, they were too shy of the five today. That's a shame, but there you go. Um, but, you know, it, it's that's what Ancelotti is about. He's not um, a defensive-minded coach. He never has been. Um, and given that, you know, the two pillars of the back line in Veranda and Ramos are not gone, I don't think you can rely on that same kind of defensive emphasis that Zidane did in the latter years recently. Um, so, you know, I'm expecting a lot of high-scoring games. I'm not expecting many clean sheets. I don't think Courtois is going to be picking up that Zamora trophy this season, to be honest. Um, I think he's going to be called into action a lot. Um, But, you know, it's going to be a case of, yeah, they're going to score a lot. We're going to ship a lot of goals as well. Get used to it. That's Carlo Ball.
2: Yeah, Carlo Ball all season long. And just one final word has on on Levante, obviously, taking the, the point of Real Madrid. A very strong performance, especially in that second half. What did you think of Levante?
3: Yeah, they were fantastic, especially, you know, uh, in that second half, they came right out straight off the bat, equalised in, I think it was 28 seconds or something like that. Um, and then even for the second, the goal as well, you know, Campagna scoring that amazing volley, uh, you know, right in the top wins you could do nothing about it. Obviously, the questionable defending, you know, on both parts of Madrid, but Levante showed they wanted it, they were up for it, um, which they didn't show at all in the first half, they looked like they were getting pummeled in the second, you know, in that first half, sorry. Um, they just couldn't deal with anything. They were just getting pieced apart, and um, so they came out, you know, flying. That's Levante. You know, as Paco, Paco always says, um, they're one of the most, if not the most entertaining time in the Liga. Um, for that very reason, they might sort of slip and not show up for the first first half, the first thirty minutes. Then they can just come out all swinging and you know pull it out, pull it out of the bag like that. And we've seen them do it how many times?
2: Yeah, exactly. Countless times, really, isn't it? Yeah. Great, so thanks very much for joining us, Haz. I'm going to let you get off and have a rest and and lay down after that 90 minutes of football that you put up with.
3: I'm going to damn well need it, believe me. Tweeting on the account tonight was absolutely crazy. Just as I thought, yeah, okay, that's that's the update. I can can just put the phone aside for a second and stop updating. Then something else happened. (laughs) Then something else happened. It was just wild. If if anyone's not caught that, just go and watch the highlights at least. Yeah, the 90 minutes of action
2: you need to watch from this weekend. Thank you very much for joining us, Haz.
3: No worries, man. Thank you.
2: So I'm almost as exhausted after talking to Haz and feeling all of his emotions as Haz was. But the rest of the weekend wasn't quite as exciting. I mean, we started off on Friday night with Manuel Pellegrini, who was complaining about excessive diving, time-wasting play-acting that was ruining the game in Spain. He laid the blame at the, the doors of the Spanish referees. Matt, what did you think about Pellegrini's outburst? I mean, Do you think he was right? Do you think there's some element of truth in what he was saying?
0: It was quite forthright, wasn't it, for match day two? It was uh, almost a sign that things are already getting to him. But uh, I think it probably boils down to the, just some kind of heat of the moment frustration from him. You know, he's seen his side draw the first two games against sides that he probably would have expected to beat, if we're being honest, in in uh, Mallorca and Cadiz. And yeah, OK, the manner of it was a little bit frustrating for Betis, the way that Cadiz just tried to kind of shut the game down and... But every team would do that, this is football. And if the shields on the other foot, Pellegrini would be quite happy for his, his side to do exactly the same and, and employ very similar tactics. So, for me, it was kind of a little bit of just frustration boiling over, but yeah, I, I think he wouldn't be complaining if, if it was the other way around.
2: But I mean, we did touch on it earlier on. I mean, nine goals from seven games before Real Madrid-Levante this weekend. I mean, what's going on in La Liga? I mean, obviously Lionel Messi is left, but he wasn't the only man who was scoring in La Liga last season.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a strange one, hasn't it? I mean, we've had a kind of disrupted summer because some players were involved in the Euros and the Copa America or, or even the, uh, the Gold Cup in, in Central America. So people have come back at different times, preseasons have been disruptive. We've had the Olympics of course as well. I mean Nickel Yatabel he's kind of continued that form in. He's scored two and two and he's uh, looking in pretty good touch. But you look at the likes of Gerald Moreno and, and you know, Villarreal haven't haven't scored a goal yet. So it's um, it, it's a strange one, but we are expecting things to improve and you know the quality in the league is is too high for it to continue to be kind of uh, on this kind of drab level but um, there's, there's still things to be excited about, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, exactly, and one of the things to be excited about has been the form of, of the newly promoted teams, right? So, I mean, who's most impressed you there?
0: Well, I think, in general, I'd say the promoted sides have acquitted themselves quite well. We've seen Mallorca get their first win of the season, away from home as well, and uh, given that they only won one game away from home in their entire of their last campaign in La Liga, that's a, a pretty impressive start for Luis García Plata. So they've already got a draw and a win in their first two games, that's a very good foundation to build from. We look at Espanyol as well, two games, two draws, but two clean sheets, so again they'll be pretty happy with that return. Obviously they know they've got goals in the team, as we heard from Jeff Gillingham a couple of weeks ago, so they they can certainly kick on. And even Rayo, I know they've, they've lost both games, but the first one was very unlucky, they had a man sent off early, playing with 10 in the heat of Seville, very difficult game. And then today, they lost. it was only a penalty that beat them and they they showed some pretty solid stuff. So, again, I think Andoni Ayola will have quite a lot to work with as as we progress.
2: Yeah, and it's also good to see some other teams putting a good fight up against the the big guns as well. I mean, we're going to touch on all three of the games with, with the top three from last season later on, but... I mean, we saw Athletic put up a good fight against Barcelona. Levante didn't give in against Real Madrid, and Elche put up a real fight against Atletico. So, we're going to dive into all three of those games later on. But before we go into that, Matt, I mean, what would be your key kind of takeaway from what we're seeing in these opening weeks? I mean, we've seen that the the promoted sides are there to compete, but we're also seeing that maybe there is not a challenger for that top three. I mean, we we know that Sevilla are in the mix as well in that top four, but the European sides, I mean teams that we thought might push on this season haven't done so I mean Villarreal, Betis they're kind of picking up points but not impressing as much as we might have expected.
0: Yeah that's true I would go along with that I'd, I'd caveat it by saying it is very early days still and you know we should give them kind of five six games to really see a pattern emerge but you are right the, the starts for particularly Betis and Villarreal haven't been too fantastic and there is a little bit of frustration already starting to brew that you know isn't quite clicking as, as they would have hoped. As you say, I think Sevilla will be the primary challenger once again for that top three. And um, below that, yeah, we're just looking to see who can lay down a marker. Real Sociedad have got their first win today, so we'll be hoping that maybe they can kick on too. But again, with the Europa League to come into the mix after the international break, it's, it's going to be hard to juggle again. The, the managers will need to use their squad as well.
2: Yeah, you're right there, Matt. The clubs will definitely have to balance their squads a bit and that's just like Atletico Madrid who even in these opening weeks of the season after the Euros and Copa America for the likes of Luis Suarez and Kieran Trippier having to do a little bit of rotating. So let's hear just about how they're handling that starting off with the match-winning goal scored by Angel Correa.
3: Con vías de cabeza, trata de ganar la segunda jugada Rodrigo de Pol rodeado boyle de contrarios. Qué balón tan peligroso para Correa. Correa,
1: Correa se falla Casilla. Correa, Correa. ¡Ay, Correa, Casilla!
2: There was also a cracking tie with fans back at the Estadio Wanda Metropolitano. I was there to watch Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid grind out a 1-0 win. It was very Atletico Madrid, very Diego Simeone. Matt, what did you make of that game? Did you watch it?
0: Yeah, I saw most of it. Um, as you say, it was a very Simeone classic, really. It was the, it's the 100th game in the new Wanda Metropolitano. So it was uh, quite a fitting tribute, I think, Atletico winning 1-0.
2: Yeah, definitely. And they really had to kind of work for it, didn't they? I mean, it wasn't Atleti of early last season. It's a feeling I've had kind of the first couple of weeks of this season. We're only two games in, but in pre-season as well. Atletico very much looked like they did towards the end of last season. A little bit leggy, not quite there, but grinding out results. And I mean, I think we saw it again today, this time, Kyrton Trippier and Luis Suárez got 30 minutes. But but I think you could see that Atleti were, were missing a few key players. Um, And one thing that I did think as well, watching the game, I mean, I saw Jamie Kemble on Twitter. He was tweeting about how Elche were impressive. But to be honest, I wasn't impressed by Elche. I mean, I'm going to put a downer on it. And I know Elche played okay without the goalkeeping error. They could have been 0-0. But Elche were up against an Atleti side basically without a striker. And they didn't really have any chances.
0: Well, you say that, I I would, I, would, certainly think the wing-backs did play well. I think and uh, Palacios and also Mojica on the other side, I think they did pretty well of trying to get forward themselves and also stemming the threat from Marcos Llorente in particular. Um, you say there was no striker, that's true, but they did have the current Pachicchi in La Liga, Ángel Correa, to deal with. And uh, as you can see, with the quality Aleti have, it was very reminiscent of the Copa America final. You see Rodrigo de Paul play that fantastic ball over the top into Correa's path. and. Okay, there was the goalkeeping howl there from Kiko Kesia but Correa took that so well with the outside of his boot to finish that chance and uh, he's just playing with so much confidence at the moment that, yeah, it's, it's exciting to see what he can do this year.
2: Yeah, and we touched on it last week when me and Rory were talking about the MVP and Lando Correa's form. I mean, he really has been spectacular for Atleti and when they've most needed him as well. But, I mean, we're seeing Atleti struggling in the transfer market with, with Ljanovic and, and with Mateus Cogna not moving too quickly as well, Rafa has gone to Sevilla, Antoine Griezmann isn't coming. I mean, is it the end of the world for Atleti if they don't bring in another striker?
0: I think it all depends on on how Luis Suarez kind of gets up and running. If he can get anywhere close to his level from last year, they should be fine because, as you say, you've got Correa contributing, you're going to get goals from Carrasco, from Llorente, possibly Thomas Lemar as well. So the goals will be shared around, I think, but, you know, if Atlético want to go deep in, in more than one competition, which they should be aiming to do, you do feel they do look a little bit light in those kind of forward areas.
2: Yeah, and I think as well, I mean, the yeah, Atlético squad in general isn't the deepest of squads. I mean, looking at their bench today, even, I mean, I know there's some players missing, Mario Hermoso through suspension, Felipe through injury, Gio Felix through injury as well. But on the bench today, the only real players who could come into that first two and improve it were Luis Suarez and Kiran Trippier, who you'd imagine would both be starting in another context. So, I mean, Diego Simeone's got his work cut out, but with Angel Correa, he does have an option there to, to fill in that gap in the front line. And, and maybe Atletico might just consider it. Maybe with the current financial situation, it's not worth breaking the bank for an average player. Maybe Angel Correa is kind of the solution in attack, and he really has kind of finally made that.
0: Step up. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the the price tags being touted for Vlajevic were. I mean, obviously he's young and he's already proven he can score twenty plus goals in a top league. But at the same time, that's you know Luki Ovic did that and it hasn't quite worked out at Real Madrid. So who's to say that Vlahovic wouldn't be a similar case? I, I do like Vlahovic, but with those prices, I can understand Leti saying, "Well, no, hang on, we can't do that." So uh, I reckon, yeah. I reckon that uh, it sounds like Mateusz Krynyak could be the one that comes in. So we'll,
2: we'll see if that happens. Yeah, for sure. And I think it is a little bit of a concern for Atletico. I mean, we've spoken about Angel Correa, but Luis Suarez today he came on for the final 30 minutes and even 20 minutes into that 30 minutes, he was not chasing balls down and, and looking a bit tired. Obviously, he's just come back from, from a long summer at the Copper America and everything. But Luis Suarez isn't getting any younger. He's never He hasn't been the most mobile in recent years. And if he's going to be that focal point in Diego Simeone's attack, he has to press high. He has to do everything and and really kind of put the teamwork in. And maybe we get to a point where he can't do that. So for Atleti, I think it is worth spending if there's the right man to kind of have that long-term replacement ready. But there's no point spending if they're not going to find the right man. And with Angele, they do have that backup option to pull on. So I think they can be feeling quite positive after these two first games of the season and the, the two wins which haven't been spectacular but they've got the job done and, and without some key players.
0: Absolutely at this stage of the season you just got to get those points on the board and, and be at the top in contention rather than playing catch-up.
2: Exactly right Matt and I mean that's why Atletico are top of the table as things stand. Um, obviously Sevilla could overtake them if they beat Hitafi on Monday night but so far Atletico are the only team to take all six points from the games they've played. So join us after this short break where we'll be talking to Ramon de Arquer about Barcelona and what went wrong after their bright start on match day one, match day two wasn't quite so exciting. And we'll also have our MVP picks of the weekend as well, so keep listening. Welcome back. Next up is Román de Arquer, a resident Barcelona fan, and he's going to tell us all about Barcelona's draw with Athletic Club at San Mamés. San Mamés with fans back for the first time since March of 2020, and they really had an influence on the game. Athletic Club taking the lead and requiring this Memphis equaliser for Barcelona to take one point back to Camp Nou. Ojo, el
1: Barça, que viene Memphis, viene Memphis, viene el Barça. Memphis, que golazo!
2: I'm here and I'm joined by Román de Alquer, a resident Barcelona fan. So we're going to talk a little bit about Barcelona's draw with Athletic Club. Román, what did you make of the game?
1: Well, I thought it was definitely a tough game for Barcelona. Maybe more than many had expected, seeing how uh, the team had played against Real Sociedad, where we'd been clearly the dominating side. But Athletic Club, you know, had a completely different proposal. They were very intense since the first minute, pressing really high. And Barca really didn't have any answers for that, you know. And we struggled so much to get out of the pressure. Of course, Neto doesn't have the same facility maybe Ter Stegen has with the ball at his feet, which might have helped a bit. But overall, I don't blame Neto, absolutely. I mean, it was the whole defence, the whole team had problems. And Kuman himself, I think, maybe should have worked this game a bit better in that sense. Maybe providing some more key tactical points to to defeat Athletic's pressure because we know how they play we saw it in the Supercopa de España last season where they beat us in the final we saw it in La Liga their team with Marcelino goes up really high and, and kind of suffocates Barcelona and I thought that Cuman maybe wasn't um, at his best they are trying to solve this problem which we had during basically the whole 19 minutes Yeah and you mentioned the defence
2: there and there was a lot of talk about Eric Garcia and obviously he found out that his grandfather had died just minutes before kickoff, apparently and he didn't have the best of games. What did you make of his performance?
1: Well, of course, um, it wasn't one of his his best games, that's for sure, but Let's not forget he's only had two games at Barcelona. Uh, he barely played last season with Manchester City. And then suddenly he's been playing with the uh, Spanish national side and the Olympics with the under-23 and now uh, Barcelona. So lots of changes, lots of things suddenly happening for e Garcia. He still has to adapt, I think. People have to give him some time. There's been a lot of criticism towards him. But as I said before, it's not Neto, it's not Eric, it's not one individual. It's the whole defence. Barca has been struggling at the back for a long, long time. I'd say a couple of seasons at least. Last season with Kuman. Uh, we already had problems this season we're having problems Eddie Garcia has come to try and maybe help fix these problems but of course he also has to as I said adapt to this team and as you mentioned also the thing with his grandfather uh, who died that definitely has to have some sort of uh, emotional impact on the player also he had to switch positions halfway through the game because Pique got injured playing first in the right then in the left so a lot of things and it's always complicated to, to defend against speedy players like Inaki Williams and I'd say uh, Eric García the kind of defender who's more comfortable when, when the team has the ball, when Barcelona ha- is under control, when they're uh, moving the players, and the, he just has to maybe um, anticipate, he has to maybe find those uh, passes in between the lines. And in that aspect, Eric is great, but when Athletic Club are pushing and pushing and pushing, uh, he struggles. And so does the Barcelona defence, because we're not used to this uh, kind of uh, rival. So, of course, uh, it's not a great game for him. He got sent off in the end, which was a must, because if not, they could have scored... Uh, but I'd give him some time. Uh, Let's not uh, get too hasty with Eric García, and for sure I think he can become a very decent player for us.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned it again there, so Gerard Pique. I mean, after last week's game against Real Sociedad, there was talk that he pulled his left calf muscle and maybe needed a bit of rest. Ronald Koeman came out on Friday and said that there was nothing to it. He was fine, he could play without any problem. And then half an hour in, he came limping off with a problem in his other calf, his right calf. I mean, do you think that Koeman gambled a bit there with his fitness?
1: Well, I mean, I understand that if Kuman said he was fine to play, is that uh, the medical staff at the club must have told him it's fine, and that Piqué, of course, himself, he must have said, "Yeah, I feel good, I want to play." Kuman could have decided just for precaution to to leave him aside, but of course, uh, as, as we all saw, it was a very, very tough game against Athletic Club, and we probably needed our best defenders out there. Um, although I think Araujo did really well when he played. I think he could have been there with Eddie Garcia or, or whoever. Uh, but of course, in the end, it comes down to the the manager and it comes down to the player. And if they both agree on uh, Piquet playing, then I mean, we can't really say much about that. They're the ones who know better the situation of the player, the situation of what's going on the club. So I really don't want to look too deep into it, because honestly, it's things that happen. And if he would have played 90 minutes, nobody would have remembered, you know. Yeah. So in the end, hopefully it won't be too bad for Piquet and he'll be able to, to come back for the next yeah, game, because yeah, apparently it's not Run, yeah, hopefully
2: we'll be back. And I mean, kind of, it was an interesting performance as well because we saw some players stepping out. Frankie the Young played well, Memphis Depay as well. And without Lionel Messi, who are you kind of seeing that's stepping up into kind of a leadership role within the Barcelona team?
1: Well, in the first game, it seemed like Breathwood was the man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, it clearly is Memphis and and Frankie the Young, as, as as you said, you know, these two guys are looking great in the first two games. And Memphis, particularly because of course he's playing more in attacking position more similar to Messi in terms of of going forward and scoring the goals and he seems like he has so much confidence he wants to be the leader of this team Um, and now he's in the right moment in his career you know to step up and to play in a team like Barcelona his move to Manchester United came way too soon back then Uh, we all saw that he wasn't ready but now after his uh, stay at Olympique de Lyon he's just come in the right moment I think to maybe even improve to become a leader here and he clearly is the reference we have in attack because at the moment Griezmann he was decent in the first game, but in the second game it's against Athletic Club, he really hasn't appeared much, whereas Memphis has been present in both games, and as you said, Frankie the Young is the other guy who in that midfield is just non-stop defending, attacking, uh, creating, this guy is just keeping on with that form he had last season, and he's doing so, so well this year. Great, so
2: we're two games in now, Roman, and two games without Messi, two games with Martin Braithwaite as the, the leading striker. <laughs> and they've been very similar ties in some ways, both against Basque teams, but very different. I mean, the, the win against Real Sociedad was a real confidence booster and then the draw with Athletic was kind of a real 90 minutes of suffering. What kind of feeling do you have about Barcelona for the rest of the season after two games played?
1: Well, of course, as you said, we have a bit of each, you know, a game where we did really well and we, we, we were looking great. And then suddenly a game where uh, all our defects are coming to light and, and we're, we're seeing that Barca still has those defensive problems. So, I mean, I kind of still have the same opinion I had at the beginning, uh, before the season started, that it's gonna be a tough year. I still think we will finish top four, top three, or even top two is quite likely. Three or two, second or third, I think, are the positions Barca have to aim for. Uh, we still, of course, can win it. You never know, because there's a good squad overall. But um, there are very um, big problems in defense, as we saw against the club. If teams decide to put that high pressure, we will struggle. Hopefully, Kuman will find solutions. But still, I mean, in attack, we did generate our opportunities as we always do. I mean, Brathwaite had that goal right at the beginning, and Memphis scored and generated some of the good opportunities, so Barca can, can still do a lot of damage in attack. It's uh, going to be interesting to see what the team can do against the strong, strong sides, such as Atletico, such as Real Madrid, Sevilla. But we've seen that against uh, mid-top-table teams like Atletica and Real Sociedad. Uh, there's a bit of each. So at the moment, I still don't have my hope. clearly. I think it's going to be a tough season without Leo Messi. But um, the team, I guess, will will still have to work, still have to improve, and hopefully Kuman can this season actually find the best way of playing because last season we saw a bit of everything also, a bit of some really good football and a bit of some terrible football. So we're still in that same line and we still have to find our path uh, this season. Yeah, there's
2: a very long way to go. Great, well, thank you very much, Roman. A weekend that we could live to remember come May. With Real Madrid and Barcelona both dropping points. Aleti picking them up there. So the title race is very much on, and the rest of our league are very tight as well with all these draws that we've been seeing. But who was the best performer? Stay tuned, and we'll take a look at our most valued player of the week as me and Matt debate who the four nominees should be. So welcome to MVP for match day two, where we pick the most valuable player of this weekend and you'll be able to vote for the winner on our Twitter at La Liga Lowdown on Monday. So Matt, I think we have to start with one man. I think Levante took all the headlines and they gave us all the stories to talk about. So that means that Levante definitely have to have a shout and for me, their best performer was definitely, without a doubt, the goal scorer and on his return from injury as well, just coming back recently, it's Jose Campaña.
0: Yeah, it's... It is a great story, and he's been a big miss for them, and it's great to see him back playing at his best. But for me, you can't really look past Vinicius in this game. I mean, to come off the bench and just produce that kind of composed finishing, which we don't really associate with him normally. He's now scored three in the league, and he's had a right foot, a left foot, and a header. So for me, I think this could be his breakout season, so I think he deserves a shout.
2: Yeah, but Jose Campagna, I mean, I think everybody forgets kind of the form he was in before that injury. I mean, he just got his Spain call-up, I mean, linked with a move to Sevilla. I mean, he was really kind of standing out as one of the league's best midfielders. And this season he's come back fit again, and he's kind of started off in the same vein of form. I mean, he's dominating games, he's been very dynamic, he's kind of bossing midfields. And I mean, against Real Madrid, that's not an easy thing to do. And that goal he scored, I mean, kind of back post, finds the space... Composed volley. I mean, it's the kind of quality that you don't expect a team like Levante to have if you don't watch La Liga very often. So I think for me, Campagne is definitely one of those players that is going to be in there with a shout in our in our conversation if we're going to talk MVP.
0: Fair enough. If if you want to talk about midfielders, though, how about Frankie De Jong's performance at San Mames? I mean, it was a pretty rough night for Barca. They had to suffer, but Frankie was doing everything. He was covering back in the box. He was starting the play. He was dictating when he could. And he was trying to get forward and join the attacks as well. So for me, he was just a complete omnipresent in that team on, on Saturday night.
2: Yeah, and we kind of spoke about it with Roman as well earlier on about how Frankie is kind of one of those players who's stepping up with, with no Lionel Messi. There's kind of a, a gap in the Barcelona squad for a leader. And I think Frankie is kind of stepping up into that role with Ronald Koeman. and he's kind of got that confidence behind him, and he's, he's really starting to shine. Absolutely. But I think yeah. I mean you wanna talk about midfielders. If we're gonna talk about midfielders, I was at the wonder I think you have to pick out Rodrigo de Paul. I mean, what a debut. I mean, brilliant. Some of that passing is kind of the best passing vision that we've seen in La Liga. At least that we've seen from Atleti in a very long time. I mean Atleti have a lot of different kinds of midfielders. I mean they have the Marcos Girlti who's very dynamic, very energetic, making the runs. You have the Coke who do a little bit of everything. Yeah, con Dogpio's kind of got the bite and the tackling. But Rodrigo de Paul and his vision is just something so different to anybody else. I mean, his pass for Angel Correa's goal is just, I mean, it was reminiscent of Xabi Alonso in his peak at, at Liverpool or Real Madrid. I mean, it was that good. Well, now
0: that's a comparison and a half, isn't it? That's, that's going to be a lot to live up to. Um But yeah, well, I can't really argue with that one. Um In terms of an outside... No, I think it was...
2: No, I was just going to say, I think that with Rodrigo de Paul, one big factor as well. I mean, it wasn't just that one pass, the Angel Correa goal. He played another great ball through to Correa. And then he had another one through to Yannick Carrasco that he probably should have done better with. I mean, if we're going to talk about a player who, who won his team the game this weekend, then I would say that Rodrigo de Paul is probably that man.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, if we're looking at outside shouts, here's one for you. How about Dimitrievski for Rayo? It's been a pretty tough couple of games for them. Obviously, lost Lucas down to a red card in the first game. He came on as a sub, and his first action was to face a penalty. And, of course, Sevilla ended up winning 3-0 in that first game. So in this game, though, against Real he, f- he made seven saves. And once again, it was only a penalty that could beat him. So I think he's a pretty, he's a very experienced goalkeeper for North Macedonia International. So I think he could be one of Rayo's key players this season
2: yeah like you said i mean he kind of came into the team kind of came into the season really a second choice to luca zidane which which surprised some people but i mean kind of that was the role that he was given by, by Andoni reola and within a week he's gone from starting the season on the bench to being the the hero almost i mean you look at the xg stats and things as well and i think reira sociedad has something like XG, which obviously the penalty is is about 0.75 of that, but that's still kind of 1.5 goal-scoring opportunities that the Real Sociedad should have converted. Some of them might have gone wide, but I mean, Dimitrovsky was a really big player for them, and you think if it wasn't for that penalty, then could he have taken a point almost single-handedly?
0: Yeah, I think they were very close. I think um, it was a huge performance from him, and He'll need a few more, let's be honest, if Ryo are to stay up. But I think with him between the posts, they have every chance of getting some good results.
2: Yeah, and he's definitely staked his claim with Lucas Adan out suspended to, to keep hold of that number one shirt now that he's got his hands back on it. So, Matt, I think it's decision time. We've spoken about five players there. For me, I know we don't normally include two players from one game in MVP, but I think if there's one game and one weekend that justifies it, I think we should include both. Vinicius and Jose Campana from Levante Real Madrid.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. If, if there is going to be an exception to our usual rule, then it has to be this one. And let's be fair, we could even pick more from this game that was that good and that, that high in quality. So, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And then I think I think he's convinced me with Rodrigo De Paul, uh, especially with the, your Atleti shirt on there. So I think we're going to have to go with him.
2: And let's go with... Rodrigo De Paul has to be in there. No discussion about <laughs> that one, Matt.
0: And, uh, and let's go with Dmitriescu as well, just for the underdog story.
2: Yeah, I think if you're going to have a player who had a disappointing result, Frankie or Dmitrievski, then I think Dmitrievski probably had the better individual performance over Frankie. Not much in it, but I think Dmitrievski deserves the nomination. So make sure that you join us guys to vote on our Twitter at La Liga Lowdown on Monday to see who wins the MVP. Last week it was Karim Benzema. He won with a storming vote. But who will it be this week? I imagine there'll be quite a close with this one so make sure you get involved and vote on our twitter page so that's all for this week and for match day two but before we go time to share our best moment of the week for me There can be no doubt about it. Seeing some of La Liga's biggest stadiums with fans back in there again, I mean, the Wanda Metropolitana is rocking, but even better almost, despite having less fans, was San Mames. I mean, San Mames is the kind of stadium which lives off the fans that go there, the traditions, the history. And I think it was so good to see fans back in the stadium for such a big game like Barcelona. I mean, some fantastic images of fans before the game in their shirts around San Mames. I think that's very much what La Liga is about. What about you, Matt? What was your moment of the weekend.
0: Well, I agree. It's fantastic to have fans back. But for me, the moment of the weekend has to be Ferninho getting his goal on debut for Mallorca to earn them a win at Mendoza their first win of the season. And it could be a springboard for them to get a few more.
2: Yeah. So let's end on that note. Let's have a listen in as we finish up to the commentary of that Ferninho goal, the winner for Real Mallorca. Thanks for listening and make sure you join us again next week where we'll be analysing all of the Match Day 3 action. Plenty of big games to come. So stay tuned to La Liga Lowdown. Make sure you stay following us on Twitter. Check out our website for all the new content. And we'll be back next week to talk about some big games. Barcelona, Getafe, uh, Atletico Villarreal, Real Madrid, Real Betis. I mean, some big fixtures next weekend. So stay tuned and we'll be back this time next week.
1: Está el partido para Ferniño, Ferriño, Ferriño. La vaselina de Ferniño que acaba de marcar, amor mayor gol. Gol, 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 gol,
3: gol. Gol.